everyone, welcome back to another episode of Explain It Slowly. Okay. <laughs> so we just we were just uh, uh, recording our last episode, um, and it made me it made me remember a topic that I actually learned quite a bit about, uh, surprisingly enough, uh, and that is why do babies like putting stuff in their mouth? Why? So uh, the topic came up because we were discussing about like how it's good to have safe tactile toys Mm -hmm. right um because one you the baby's gonna put stuff in their mouth and that's just like an eventuality of everything um and this is half to kind of find food but there's other evolutionary reasons why we as humans like do this instinctually um so i figured like be a cool thing to talk about uh and it all kind of goes to the days before like we were humans like before that uh before we really had a construct called language uh how we would operate we are primates right primates have arms and they have thumbs and fingers um and they will often go and forage right we'll we uh we would have gone on trees to like find fruits and pick those fruits and put them in our mouth right Mm -hmm. uh so there's already that aspect uh that there's a little bit left um in like infants uh that they will naturally just put everything into their mouth because that is such a a core thing that we as humans came from right Mm -hmm. um but there's a second aspect that uh grabbing and foraging and putting fruits uh has kind of done for us and this is kind of accidental but by us manipulating with a lot of dexterity all of our fingers and our hands and our arms and bringing them towards our mouths, we also developed how to operate our mouths at the same times as our hands, right? Uh, And because of that, in the brain, uh, you'll actually see the areas of the brain that light up when you do dexterous movement with your hands and your arms is actually closely tied to the dexterous movement that you do with your tongue and your lips and your jaws as you speak and you produce language. Like, it's all really, really close together in the brain. Um, And it's all very interrelated. Um, And it comes down to the fact that as we speak, we tend to gesture. Like, the fact that we're gesturing while we speak is a remnant of us getting food and putting it in our mouths. Like, that that got so tied to how we operate as, like, humans... That because of that, whenever we speak, we naturally just gesture because we don't know what to do with our hands, right? That's the common, like, how you describe it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's actually, it's not that we don't know what to do with our hands. We know what to do. We're doing something with them. And it's just, oh, by us operating our mouths uh, to, like, communicate language, we are also operating our arms and our hands at the same time because it's all linked up accidentally. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, kind of tying this a little bit back to why babies will like want to put things into their mouth. This is actually something that's super uh, tied in with all of that. So not only do you have the I want to put stuff in my mouth to taste it. I need to like forage because that's something that I know how to do from birth. Mm-hmm. Like I know how to forage and put stuff in my mouth and either I survive and like that's a good outcome or I die and I eat poison uh, (laughs) and that baby does not live to see very many days Um, but that's like a base 
survival thing, right? So there's that aspect of it. Uh, then there's the aspect of learning language, which for humans is something that largely comes automatically, like, right? You're around other humans that speak language, you will pick up language. That's just like a natural thing that occurs. Like it's not even something that only happens in babies and infants. It will happen to adults. You put an adult that does not speak a language in a community that does speak that language, they're going to learn how to speak that language. Not through trying, like not through education, but just they'll pick it up. Mm -hmm. Um, They won't speak it the best if they don't try to do it properly, but they will pick it up automatically. No matter the age. It's like completely independent. It's like something so ingrained with who we are. Um, And part of that is as babies cannot talk yet like their larynx physically did not descend enough for them to make vocalizations that make sense uh they are starting to train their mouth and their tongue and try to make sounds and because the mouth is also used to eat that all gets jumbled up so as they're trying to learn language they're also using their arms and bring the stuff that their arms are touching because their fingers are full of neurons and they can feel mm-hmm. like very dexterously and because of that they're bringing stuff to their mouth that's also getting excited like neural excitement from that same like behavior uh and therefore like it's all coming together does that make sense yeah so uh by babies taking random stuff and playing with it and then putting it in their mouth and like still like discovering it with their mouth Mm -hmm. they're also training themselves to learn language which you would never think of when you're like staring at a baby like as they're doing that but they're like training all the different parts of their brain to become the social creature that is a human at the end of the day and they need all of that interaction to happen for them to calibrate where their mouth is is it open is it closed what are they feeling what's their tongue doing because your tongue does a lot. Like, we don't pay two cents of attention to it, but, like, your tongue is making all these fancy sounds with zero effort. Um, and it's it's very good at it, right? Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to share. Um, so maybe this is a little bit of a short one, but I thought that was, that was like, a really cool topic that I learned a long time ago. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to, like, I know when I, this is like off topic in a way, but like Mm -hmm. it has to do with like children learning to communicate and such. And like, since you, you know, babies don't have their vocal develop yet, like Mm -hmm. they suggest that you teach, you know, babies like sign language, right? Like as early as possible, because even though they haven't learned to speak, that's only because they're missing the most crucial part in able to speak. But doesn't mean they don't understand, doesn't mean they can't learn, right? And there's a there's a very important reason why they can't speak yet. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's worth like pausing on. Uh, The reason why we can speak is because our mouth parts are connected to both our food parts, like our, our stomach and our esophagus. But also our lung parts, where your larynx is that, and your vocal cords, what mm-hmm. we, uh, like we call them, they're really two flaps of skin and they vibrate. Um, but they make the bass uh, sound, mm-hmm. um, and you can you can change that. Oh, like you can choose what sound comes out of that. But that's all it does. The rest comes from the mouth. Yeah. But you need the mouth to be connected to your lungs for that to happen. 
But a baby does not yet have their mouth connected to their lungs in the same way that an adult does. Mm. In fact, the connection to the lungs is more geared towards the nose primarily. Like it's still connected to the mouth. Like you can switch modes and you can see this in most animals. Like an animal might start to pant. But for the most part, they never really choke. They can get food stuck in their throat and they will never choke because that food is always going down the esophagus. Because that the mouth is directly linked to the esophagus and the lung part comes on top of the mouth where the nose kind of enters the equation. Mm. Does that make sense? Okay. And for a baby, that's a very important thing not to choke when you're very inexperienced with using all your moving parts. But they still choke. They still choke, but they're not capable of choking in the same way that an adult can. They're still choking, but they're not choking the same way. Yeah, like they're not going to suffocate through that process. Like they'll get something stuck. They'll try to like get it out. They can still suffocate. Not through like food ingestion and not in the same way. Okay. Like the process of which they're suffocating is because they jammed food up their nasal cavity by accident and into their lungs. Okay. Rather than from their throat, like the mouth throat to the lungs. Like that is not going to be possible because... The physical connection is high up. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when we say the larynx descends, that's actually what's happening is that connection where you have basically an option of does this go in the esophagus or does it go in the lungs? Uh, That descends down past the mouth parts Mm -hmm. and therefore you can start making sounds like vocalizations that actually go and you can manipulate with your tongue and your lips and... Your jaw and all that. So sound, how how do we make sound? It, it comes from... The larynx. The larynx. Yeah, so if you put your hands on your throat... So it's the vibration of the larynx. Yeah, two flaps of skin, sound. and they go, they wobble back and forth at a frequency, and that's your base, base frequency. And then it's our tongue that it's... Stopping us and articulating shaping. the yeah. sound, mm-hmm. or the vibration that we make. Yeah, and... So does more... the lung play any part in us making sounds? The lungs? Yeah. Yes, it's pushing air. If you don't have air movement, then you don't have sound. Um, if you okay, so think of it this way: you can whisper, right? Yeah. Notice as soon as I whisper, there's no more vibration coming from my throat. Okay. Right. If you start to whisper, yeah, that's no longer vibrating on your throat. You can still hear the sound, um, and that sound that you're hearing that's coming entirely from your lips and your tongue, like moving. Mm-hmm. but you don't have any, like, voice to it. So that's that's what I'm talking about, like, by the larynx and the voice. That's all coming from your lungs. Um, your lungs are still pushing air when you're whispering. Like, they're, they're pushing air out of your mouth. Um, and that's something that, like, you can hear. Like, the microphone picked it up just fine. If you talk to Siri, she will hear it. She'll understand it. But you lost a lot of information there. Mm-hmm. namely voiced consonants like T and D, there's no difference when you whisper because there isn't a difference. Um, but yeah, we like went on three side side tracks. It's fine. <laughs> it's all about, I don't know, language and development, the, the umbrella. <laughs> yeah, the umbrella. Um, but yeah, I think you were asking a question of like the gesturing, right? Well, I wasn't asking. I was just like saying that like, uh, it's suggested that since baby haven't developed right. a, a vocal 
cork larynx? Yeah, their their larynx did not descend yet. The the organ yeah. is there, but it's going to the nose, not to but the mouth. But since they haven't been, since they're not able to talk yet, it's it's suggested that you teach them sign language, and it's, it's basic signs. You're not like teaching them like poem poetries and verses and all that. It's just basic signs. That way they can... Direct language, right? Yeah, not, that way Not they metaphorical can, language. Yeah, that way they can learn to re-communicate back with you, especially when you're trying to understand what does a child want, right? Mm-hmm. And studies have shown that children who uh, were taught sign language learn to communicate uh, much sooner, mm-hmm. uh, like months sooner yeah, than Yeah, because they didn't have to wait until yeah. they can start vocalizing to say yes or no. Yeah. Right. Or I want this, or I don't want that, or I need something. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's that's the key thing is that a child is learning language from from before they're born. Like their brain is really developing it from the get go. Not only because we're built for that. Like we, our brains are naturally geared to learn language. Yeah. Um. But because like they're hearing it right in the yeah, womb, they're, they're, they're actually hearing. Uh, vocalizations and speech patterns and all of that is entering their brain and starting to formulate Um, and especially once they're born it's even easier for them to start hearing and tuning their ears uh, to selectively pick out language from background noise Mm. Um, so as soon as that's happening like unless they have a, a biological issue that's causing them to be deaf like they will pick up language immediately um, and one thing that you can do is teach them sign language while you are vocalizing. Like, don't don't pick one or the other. You use everything that you have available to you um, to really, like, cement what they're learning. Because they're understanding you. They're starting to understand you from the get-go. Um, but you can teach them sign language. You can teach them how to communicate back with you um, before they're able to communicate with vocalizations. Um, and that is 100% a great thing to do because, like, why not, right? Their brain is working. Why not get it, get it like, learning faster? Because once they have a feedback mechanism, then they can really start learning, yeah. right? And then once they can start vocalizing, guess what? They will pick that up very quickly because the base set of, like, that feedback loop that you've been training them on of I can get something for re- by requesting it and stuff like that, that will like be automatic at that point that's already cemented in that's good to go Mm -hmm. i mean especially for like a a newborn like there's no such thing as like over learning Mm -hmm. because they're that's what they do you know the first few years it's that's all they are capable of doing is learning and absorbing so you don't want to just like i don't know put them in a situation where like you only do one or the other you want to expose them to as many languages as many inputs as possible Mm -hmm. and whether they end up using it or not it's it's another situation but like you want to give them all the opportunities so then that way in the end like you know they're more well prepared Mm -hmm. yeah there are a lot of studies that show that early on if you do learn multiple languages especially very disparate languages like, that are not at all the same. They have very different grammar, very different vocabulary. Um, if you do learn that very early on, you are pretty much set to learn not only learn else. many more languages in the future, like, very easily compared to 
I only learned one language growing up and therefore like I'm not at all prepared to add one more to that. Um, so one, you can learn many other languages Two, you have much faster, uh, problem solving skills as a result of that, because your brain has already kind of suffered through that, that <laughs> difficulty, uh, during the period of time where your brain doesn't really suffer that difficulty. It just absorbs like a sponge. Yeah. Um, so you're already creating like circuits in your brain, in their brain, uh, that can help them learn a lot of things very rapidly and very efficiently uh, because you put the effort into getting them to learn a second language um, or a third or a fourth. It doesn't like it's just more than one is the key thing. Mm-hmm. And turns out most people end up getting that like the more than one through schooling. Namely, you learn to speak English, but then you also learn to write English. And I don't know if you've ever read something out loud that was like written on a page in proper written English doesn't sound like spoken English, mm-hmm. right? The delivery is totally different. The choice of words is totally different. You're learning a separate language when you're learning to write, right? That's something that's happening, but it's a very similar language to the one you're speaking. And therefore there's just a few separations in your brain that's, that are happening. Um, and you may not have as easy as a time learning how to write if you only know one language already. Whereas if you have learned multiple, like sign language is very different from English. Um, The grammar structure is totally different. The vocabulary doesn't even, like, you can't even uh, make a connection between them because one is using your hands and one is using your mouth, right? It's totally different. Um, And that's a great way of kind of setting uh setting a, a child up for success because then they have the start of tools that they can use to do much much more afterwards mm-hmm. i mean among just the two of us we already speak three lang- like we know three different languages right I at mean, least yeah so then i mean with our <laughs> with our child like <laughs> Either we're gonna we're we're expecting a genius to come out after this, okay? <laughs> Every day of the week, we're changing languages. They'll know what day of the week it is by what <laughs> language they are greeted in the morning with. <laughs> it's like ah, bonjour. It must be Tuesday today. <laughs> well, this is all new to us. I mean, we've we've like we learn all of this in college and stuff, but this is now going to be now the, it's real. The time for us to really put it into practice and experiment. I I know like the word experiment with a child it's like bad, but like that's what most of the time you do as parents, right? You try new things. Right? No, <laughs> experimenting is bad when you're not doing an experiment, right? You're not controlling your variables. You're just throwing things at a wall and seeing what sticks yeah and it might stick for reasons that are not useful yeah right that's that's what's bad about experimentation if you're experimenting by actually testing out a hypothesis and validating if that worked or not then that's useful for everyone because you learn from the mistakes of like what didn't work right yeah um and you get your kid interested in the scientific method which I I can't say enough good things about they kind of <laughs> they kind of blossomed our whole civilization into what it is today. Um, I don't know, it's like a minor thing in the grand scheme of things, I'm sure. But like, yeah, scientific method, A plus, uh, would do again. Well, speaking of experiments, uh, 
Netflix last year put out a series on baby developments, like mm-hmm. the development of a child from like newborn all the way into like toddler age and such. And these are being conducted, and it's a series. And each episode, it's uh, it they follow a specific group of like kids, right? As they grow, up. as they grow up, but they're being experimented on not not in a cruel way but like they're being observed they're not being experimented on they're being surveyed they're being sir that's why i said they're being observed well science has a bad rap because we use terms like that right that's why i was trying to correct myself that you know with the consent of the parents of course and everything and like these are being conducted by like actual scientists on and in trying to figure out like how what these certain things that babies do because babies can't really communicate back with mm-hmm. you, right? So there, there's all sorts of experience as to like, oh, why do babies constantly put their hands up into their face? Or like, you know, why do babies do certain things? Is there any reasoning or is it just... Uh, is there benefits having a mirror next yeah, to them while they sleep? Things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's really good. I think it's called just babies. And like... And the thing is that, like, a lot of these uh, scientists, researchers, they're doing most of the experience on their own kids. Like, they're mm-hmm. observing their own kids because they have, like, a sample right there with them yeah. all day long. They started off as scientists yeah. and then they got the perfect the perfect <laughs> creature to observe. Um, and, again, we say experimentation um, or running an experiment. That doesn't mean you're like pulling out a scalpel. Oh, no. no. Um, That's why I said very... It purely means that you're observing not just one individual, but many individuals Mm -hmm. to see if a common behavior from like the parents is leading to a better outcome in the kid's life later. Yeah. See if there's some correlation, basically. Um, And oftentimes, like a scientific process like that has to be done in two steps. One, you do an observational study, which is what they're called. Where you try to identify uh, something that is happening, right? Like, oh, hey, I gave uh, this child a mirror um, and it seems like they were a lot more dexterous with their hands in a shorter amount of months. I'm making this up. I don't know if that's the result that would happen. Uh, But it seemed plausible, so why not? Let's go with it. Um, (laughs) Versus the kids that didn't have a mirror... Uh, they were just kind of flailing a lot longer, right? Because they didn't have a thing to like realize, oh, this is my right hand, this is my left hand. If I do this, it goes here. If I do that, it goes there. Um, and you might observe that and notice, hey, the ones we put the mirror, like that happens. So that's like the one, that's the observational study. It's not a done and done deal though. That's where mm-hmm. most studies kind of end and then they conclude like homeopathy is real, see? Uh, the people who took this, like they got, they were cured, uh, because you choose to find the variables that lead to that. The second part is you now need to make that hypothesis of hey, having a mirror leads to more dexterous behavior in three months versus six. Mm-hmm. Like that's your hypothesis, and you take an entirely new group of kids and you put half of them no mirror. Sorry, kids, you're going to be less dexterous if my hypothesis if my hypothesis is correct. And then you take the second half and you give them the mirror, and if at the end of that result, you see a clear difference between those two groups. Then you actually have scientific processes in your yeah. The idea is like to, to have a hypothesis and then to validate it, validate it by 
by replicating that study over and over and over again with different groups of people and if the result is the same then that's what like yeah that's what's and you didn't do anything cruel in that process no none of this um, is cruel of like forcing anything it's just the difference between two sets of behaviors, if there's a clear outcome, yeah. then it's better to do that one than the other one, right? Mm-hmm. This is the reason why we kind of identified, hey, it's better to put kids in school than to just let them fend for themselves until they're 18. Like, that leads to a better outcome overall in society, right? Yeah. Um. So that's, that's like, where the scientific process uh, comes in. And ironically enough, to bring this full circle to, like, technology... Um, this is something that you dealt with in machine learning, right? Um, so to give a little bit Me? of a background, yeah, you, uh, <laughs> a little bit when of a background, uh, several years ago, you made, a kind of a demo, uh, application that would identify sign language letters, uh-huh. um, from the camera, right? Mm-hmm. So if you make a sign with your hand, the the program would say, hey, you're making the letter A yeah. or you're making the letter M. Um, and to do that, you needed to prepare two sets of data. One, the training data and one, the validation data. Yeah. And that's very important because if you didn't have that validation data, you could be 100% confident that your training went well, right? Mm-hmm. But you have no way of actually testing that it went well because the only data you have is the ones you trained on. Yeah. And of course, it's going to succeed at that because... You told it to succeed at that, right? So that's, like, back to the scientific method and why, like, we... It's important in more ways than than one. Um, That comes up time and time again. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, so pretty much check out this documentary. Like, it's called Babies, I'm sure of it, on Netflix. It was... It came out last year, like, 2022. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in, like, learning about baby developments in general, like, it, there are some... And watch it in order. I think we watched it out of order, so the kids were already grown up, and then we're like, all of a sudden, they got really young. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's it's interesting stuff to know. Mm-hmm. Educational. Yep. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yep. Bye. Bye.